This is Rugger Matrix America. Show everybody, this is Alex Goff with Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton. This is show number 90. It's only 10 more to go to the Magic 100. Um, but of course, as as Bruce was just saying to us that uh, we had so many other shows that we either uh, weren't able to use or something else happened that we have done, certainly done over 100. Um, welcome to the show. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, hugely busy time in the American rugby calendar. We had the CRC last week. We had the club championships from Super League all the way down to Division 3. Uh, and then we've got the Eagles coming up and the Eagles starting their season and um, very exciting stuff uh, going on along there. And, and we want to we want to get right into it um, because but everybody had a, a busy weekend. Bruce, I think you were doing something in Seattle, it seems. So how was your how was your weekend? Yeah, it was a great time. Seattle had a really nice crowd. The weather was fantastic. The standard of play was quite good. I was, I was very happy out there, and obviously the result went the uh, the way we had hoped. And I think that you guys kind of predicted how the game would go. Uh, I don't know if we made predictions on who would win, but how it would go, and that was pretty much went the script. Yeah, well, I. I, I think my prediction was right because I, I I didn't predict a winner. I just thought, well, it's going to be close, and it's going to be close based on these different factors. And the factors played in, and it was a three-point game. So there you go. And Pat, uh, we we had a grand old time in Philadelphia. We did. It, it was a lot of fun. A lot of good rugby. Got to see some very talented athletes, and it was a great weekend. And let's talk about that weekend first before we get into some of the other stuff the usa sevens collegiate rugby championship was on nbc it was at uh, ppl park in chester pennsylvania we always say philadelphia because philadelphia is where everyone goes you don't stay in chester you stay in philadelphia and then you go to ppl park on the banks of the mighty delaware river um really fun uh, bigger crowd a little bit bigger crowd than last year by about a thousand um but i will say a more enthusiastic crowd. I think the the universities did a better job in getting blocks of fans to cheer. And you saw Life University really stepped up, Delaware, uh, North Carolina State. They all had big chunks of fans. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, and there's one thing I wanted to talk about about the first game. But um, first of all, Pat, uh, we did do some predictions. Um, and actually, we came out looking fairly good in those predictions. Yeah, you know, predicting a sevens tournament isn't always easy, uh, so I'll, I'll preface it with that. So, yeah, I picked life, and they didn't win. They lost in the semifinals um, to, to a very good Arizona squad that lost Peter Tiberio a game later and lost in the final to the team you picked, Dartmouth. Um, so you uh, you win the, the, the prediction contest for the I CRT. I do. <laughs> yeah, kudos. So, yeah, no, it was a very good tournament. I think life could have, you know, that's the thing about sevens. You kind of shake it all up and you throw the dice out. And you do it five more times, you might get five more results. But um, we all talked about the four teams we thought were going to be at the end, Life, Cal, Dartmouth, and Arizona, and those are the four teams at the end. Um, that was kind of easy to predict, so I think we were right, right on the money with that. I think they were clearly the best four. I think the only team that really 
pushed, said, I, oh, I'd want to be in that upper echelon that didn't make it there was probably Delaware, who lost a life 12-5 in the quarterfinals. Um, one of the other funny things about the way sevens goes, it's also an emotional game. The first game of the of the entire tournament uh, was Penn State life, and life did not start well. Penn State started extremely well, and um, the score was, with time winding down, correct me if I'm wrong, it was it was 19 to seven when life scored a try and kicked a conversion with four seconds left. And the, the, the referee... 17-7. Seven, seven, seven. Oh, sorry. It was 17-7. That's right. Sorry. It was, it was, it was 17-7 with four seconds left. The referee's about to blow up the game, and Dan Payne, the director of rugby at Life, gets the attention of the number four ref, says, wait a second, we're working on a new set of rules. The new set of rules being what they call the Miller Minute, uh, based on the fact that last year um, NBC was horrified to see that a, a team could run down 40 seconds at the end of the game while they dilly-dallied around taking a conversion. They basically said that we're going to run this tournament that if there's less than a minute to go and there's a score, time stops and you restart. So, so Payne was correct in jumping in and saying we four seconds we've still got uh we've still got to play and so they they restarted the game and then what was beautiful about this is life perfectly executed everything they had to do they had the perfect kickoff cam dolan made the perfect jump to tap the ball back they retained possession they worked it right they worked it left they score in the corner and they win 1917 absolutely amazing and then the end um Pat, didn't didn't the the president of Life University then have uh, a little bit of congratulations for Payne on that? Yeah, I talked to Dan Payne in the um, in the concourse, and he said that uh, uh, the, the Life University president, who was in the the press box watching, said he he earned his pay on that one because Patty McNally was the number four. He was not going to give that extra kickoff. He he didn't catch it. Um, so if it weren't for Dan Payne catching it and lobbying for it, uh, Penn State would have won that game, and that would have changed their entire tournament. Yeah, and I, that's I, that's part of my point of bringing it up. I, uh, Penn State then goes and loses another close game against Wisconsin. If Penn State wins that first game, what's that boost to their confidence? Does that help them win the next game? Do they suddenly go two and one, or three and zero, oh in that in, in that pool, and suddenly they're looking at a completely different tournament? In the end, they ended up losing another comeback game uh, in the challenger round. They were up significantly against Maryland and gave up uh, two tries right at the end and lost 28-26. So uh, very interesting how an entire tournament can turn on a play. But it was the right call because if you're going to have a rule, you've got to be consistent. You can't say, oh, well, we forgot about it that first game, but we're going to enforce it this time. You can't do that. I'll tell you what, I really like the rule. I think it's something that the IRB ought to consider, and I think it's a great rule. I think it shows you more rugby because when you actually talk about I think I want to say that I heard the actual ball in hand amount of time in a sevens game is seven minutes um, right. because of the amount of blowups that happen and the ball being out of bounds and stalls. I'd love to see a little bit more rugby. I think that's a great way to do it. Um, so I don't know if it's something they would ever consider. And I know rugby can be kind of uh, staunch in some of their traditions, but I think it would be great to see uh, the Miller minute expanded and used elsewhere. You'd have that comeback, right? You'd be able to do the comeback that if you have 20 seconds to go and you're behind two scores, you could still do it. As long as you score yeah. right now, yeah. So that was very exciting. And and my other point um, 
is that there's a there's criticism on sevens because that it's not really rugby, that it is simply a case of passing the ball back and forth until you get it to your fast guy and the fast guy runs and scores. Uh, and I've seen plenty of teams, heck, uh, Old Blue won a national championship doing that, but I've seen plenty of teams do that. But as sevens gets more sophisticated and gets better, you can win tactically and you can win with teamwork and a pattern of play. And you look at Dartmouth. Okay, Madison Hughes has has a chance as he gets older to be a national team player. Nate Brakely, very big guy, has a chance to push for that kind of honor. No one else on that team is really uh, tracking to do that. They have a bunch of small guys. Their captain is a prop uh, in sevens, Paul Jarvis. He's no more than what? an inch and a half taller than me, maybe two inches. He's not a big guy, and I'm pretty short. Um, they're just a bunch of guys who play extremely well together. And that's that's a testament to Magleby, Alex Magleby, but it's also a testament to those players and how hard they worked. And they had only two weeks to get ready. They didn't have that long turnaround time. So all of those things, as far as I'm concerned, go out the window. It's not just about uh, speed, and it's not just about having one or two athletes, and it's not just about and it's not about having extra time and being in the playoffs for a long period of time can hurt you because Dartmouth managed to do it. The Cal excuse: we didn't have enough time to get ready. The Army excuse: uh, well, we can we can't play in the spring. We don't have enough time. The the, the warm weather teams have too much time. Both of those are thrown out the window by Dartmouth. Yes. And uh, and anybody saying that it's just athletes clearly hasn't watched Dartmouth play. And the field's shrinking. Athletes are getting bigger, faster, and stronger, and more fit and can cover the field. The field is shrinking. It's not just a fast guy wins, contrary to some belief. I, actually thought, all, I, I thought all the players were pretty fast. We were – the CRC actually gave us something to do prior to the – prior to the Super League final, so all our guys were just sitting around watching it. And and afterward, we flew home on the red eye, and all the guys watched it then. So it was uh, – I thought the CRC was fantastic. I, I actually I actually got home from the red eye and, and, and watched Belmont Shore against Metropolis, and then I, then I watched the CRC later that afternoon after I got back from the pool. It was great. It was a uh, – it was fantastic. I thought the rugby was terrific. I thought the skill level of the players was fantastic. And and really got to put hats off to Dartmouth and Magleby because he had no time. Yes. He was away. And that was one of the things that, that I thought was going to play against Dartmouth. And it didn't. They really came to play, and they played a wonderful style of rugby. And it was it was quite good and quite efficient. And they played end to end. They played side to side. They played going. They played a lot of different ways. The reason they were great is you couldn't you couldn't defend them one way. No, that's true. If you gave them the outside, they took it. If you gave them up the guts, they took it. And remember, they were down nineteen seven against Cal, and they came back. And I knew they were going to win at nineteen fourteen. I was convinced they were going to win. They just they they just seemed to know exactly what they were going to do. And the other thing about the CRC. The level of play for the bottom four or six teams has really risen significantly. Temple, which really struggled last year, were much, much better. And that kind of that that's that's pleasing to see because you not only want to see good play in the semifinals and the final, things like that, you'll want to see good play all the way through. Um, also in the final, you mentioned this, Pat, Peter Tiberio broke his arm. 
he broke his radius, clean break. I got to see the x-ray. That was really fun. And then uh, I, I think Tiberio posted his uh, fixed arm x-ray on Facebook. So if you want to go troll around there, you can see it. Um, but they bolted up his arm now. But he did leave after a few minutes. It certainly hurt Arizona. And Trent Fisher going off at the same time certainly hurt Arizona. And I will say, though, that um, uh, we, we picked Madison Hughes as the MVP of the tournament. Had Arizona won even with Tiberio injured in that final, we probably would have picked Tiberio. Uh, he really was excellent. Um, he was. And the guy that I don't want to go without mentioning, um, who really stole the show up here, there in the stadium and able to watch it. I don't know how much Maryland made it on TV, but Trevor Tanifum, lights out, had a brilliant tournament. Turning heads, I talked to Andy Katoa, you know, the USA uh, seventh assistant coach in the press box about him. Talked to Aaron Manheimer a little bit, the Chicago Lions coach about him. Um, both were complimentary. I mean, he had a lights out tournament, was just as good as Rocco Maurer was a couple of years ago, if not better. He left the um, the plate final or the consolation final early because he had tweaked his ankle just one try short of uh, Rocco Maurer's um, uh, 11 uh, record, 11 tries in, in the tournament. But Tanifum had the best individual performance of anybody, and he deserves a lot of accolades for that. And hopefully he'll get a look for the uh, Sevens All-Americans. Certainly will. Uh CRC will be back in Philadelphia next June and the June after that. If you live anywhere within half, you know, decent driving distance of Philadelphia, really should go. It is a lot of fun. And, and if you're not connected to any of the universities involved, it's actually more fun because you can cheer for everybody. There's, they're, they're all just college kids going out to play, and it is really fun. Isn't that what Sevens is all about anyway, just cheering for everybody? Yeah, exactly. Cheer for everybody. Uh, we, we will be right back. We're, we're going to um, take a break from the CRC, and we will be right back and talk a little bit about a couple of other championship games that went over on the weekend. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Okay, we're back on Rugby Matrix America, show number 90. And we're, pro- we're not going to spend an awful lot of time on all the club championships. There was a D3 uh, won by New Orleans and a D2 won by a, a really uh, great Rocky Gorge team. And just a, a quick nod to Andrew Kendall, who was um, the leader of the Salisbury University team when when they were uh, really strong a few years back and uh, and he was a points machine for Rocky Gorge. Just one of those guys who's a Division II college player, very good, smart guy who just keeps on playing. He doesn't care what level he he's playing, his club is playing. He still, still plays very well and and is good for our game. So good for Andrew. And in the Division One. Belmont Shore against Glendale. I think we all picked Glendale to win this. Um, maybe Belmont Shore did a pretty good job of just sort of worrying about how young they were and how confused they were. But in the end, you look back and realize that Belmont Shore was 15-0 and this season. They did not lose a single game. And playing in Southern California, where you, you most of the travel is not that hard, but you do have to go out to Las Vegas, and that's a difficult trip. There's always a chance to be tripped up. And somehow, and they, they escaped the Kansas City Blues, who, by the way, only lost them by two points. Um, really, uh, in the end, uh, an excellent season for Belmont Shore. I don't think they're all that young, to be honest with you. Um, that might have been played up a little bit too much. But they, yeah, they, a lot of the guys that they've had for a long time that 
I think it was Bruce who you talked about last show, um, the Fratangelo, the Peter Co. who, by the way, says on Facebook that he's retiring as a 7s and 15s national champion. Um, a lot of those guys uh, have been around for a long time, and, and they played really well, and they just, uh, I mean, the team wasn't starkly different than it was last year. And so for them to come and turn it around this year, I, I think that's a big um, uh, big compliment needs to go out to Ray Egan, the, the head coach. This is his first year as a head coach at Belmont Shore and just the organization as a whole because that's a big win. And I think on Glendale's side, they the injuries did kind of pile up on him. I didn't know Mike Kenyon was going to be out for him um, at our last podcast, but I think Mike Kenyon's one of the under-the-radar, underrated guys in all of club rugby in all of America. Um, I think he's a fantastic player, and he was out for him as well as Nick Johnson and Atta Malipa um, and numerous other guys. So I think they did pile up a little bit. And uh, they were pretty small in the back row. Um, in fact, quite small in the back row. I think under six foot with every single back row player. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, big big uh, congratulations to Belmont Shore and well done. Yeah, Belmont had a young fly half. But other than that, it was it was, it was was Peter Dahl for Tangelo, CO. They, they had a pretty solid team up there. And and, and those injuries with, with Glendale, it was, it was going to be very difficult for Glendale to beat them with all the people missing. Cameron Moeller, I mean, there, there's a, a story we're looking into, actually, about the idea that uh, Ray Egan, I talked to him last night about this, and said, you've got this experienced team, and, you know, generally what happens is you want to make a championship run, you look around for an experienced fly half offering somebody from overseas. He may not be able to run, but he can make decisions. And Egan said... We're we're planning for the long term. Let's get this kid from Fullerton and uh, let's put him in there. And and he's got, like you said, you know, CO and and uh, Ball and at scrum half and people to rely on. And let's see how he does. And he did. He he made some great plays in that final. Yeah, he made. He's he's a he's a really good player. And 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 he also had Pitts to, to truck it up for him. They they have a really good team, you know. And and Peter Dahl's all over the ball. And he, he's he's a class seven, and has been around a national national team in and out. And you know he, he that's that's a very good rugby team, and and it's a lot of guys who have been on Super League championship teams that that they have as a core of veterans that are surrounded by some young people, and they and they spent a bit of time. One of the reasons they left the Super League is so that they can they can spend time developing youth, and 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 that's one kid who came through. Peter Dahl, by the way, his first game was for the for the Eagles was back in 2009 against Ireland. He was awesome, and he just he got hurt a couple of times and sort of undercut his uh, his chances with the with the USA, which is a little bit which is too bad. Um, and it's also tough to re break into that back row, but uh, he did well. I will say, I, Peter Dahl, I think is a guy who deserves another shot. That kid, I think that Ryan Roundy reminds me a lot of him. He's undersized for a back row guy but uh, has an extremely high work rate and knows how to play the game. Um, and then just – I had talked to James Walker, the president over at Belmont Shore, a little about, about this a little while ago, but Glendale was, is way shorter in the second row than they've ever been. And the way that they were able to kind of pound Belmont last year was pin them in the corners and win every line out and steal a lot of line out ball. Well, when you lose Keith Dopper and Alec Parker and Casey Rock, you lose 6'7", six, 6'7", seven, six, seven, and 6'9". Um, that does a lot, you know, to kind of hurt you. And I think that may have been a big factor in this championship game too. So congratulations to Belmont Shore. Um, 
an excellent run. And congratulations to Glendale too. And uh, Metropolis and Palmer did well to get into the final four and not very uh, easy to get there. Uh, we did also have another championship and that was a Super League final. Ironically, even though I live about 75 miles from where they held it, I was 3,000 miles away in Philadelphia when it was played. I uh, got to watch at least some of it on webcast live on live sports video while it was being done. And um, you can check you can check out the highlights, the video highlights on rugbymag.com, and they're worth watching because this was a heck of a, uh, a rugby game. And Bruce, I guess you were there, so I guess you have uh, more to say about it. Um, but first of all, I just I just was struck by what a great game it was. Yeah, it was a terrific game of rugby, and I think that I think both teams underestimated something about the other team. I think that they underestimated our ability to generate quick ball moving forward and be ready to use it and play multiple phases. And in the, in the first part of the game, we scored a try pretty much out of the box off the kickoff. Um, they got penalized, had a line out, then we just kept pounding in, then they got penalized at like the five, and then Petri quick tap to Evans, and and they were caught out there like, holy crap. And But the thing we underestimated, two things about them, we underestimated their defensive reorganization, <clears throat> and we underestimated their scrum. Their scrum put us under a bit of pressure. Uh, they were they were pretty heavy and and they and and they worked well together as a unit. So that was an area that that Fury and and Fetty, Fury Scrunchy and Federico Reinhardt, we knew that we we weren't as good in the scrum as maybe everybody thought, and and that we've had all season not had it hasn't really been exposed on us, <clears throat> and it got exposed on us a little bit in that game, <clears throat> and it it hurt us. And probably took away some opportunities. Um, and I think that then fair play to fair play to Puget Sound. They came right back and scored 14 points relatively quickly on us. And then we were down. And then we knocked back. And we kept on pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding. We got turned over at the goal line. And when I say the goal line, I'm talking about the one-foot line two or three times. And nobody really does that to us. We're we're pretty efficient down there, and we're pretty efficient at putting points on the board, and it and that hurt us as well. And and we knew we couldn't kick to them, and, you know. As as my, I don't know why we did, and Palafal made us pay. Yeah, yeah. What, were you were you putting your head in your hands at that that kick? And and it was a. Uh, I wasn't putting my head in the hand. I wasn't putting my head in my hands at the kick. I was. We knew that we didn't want to kick the ball to them. We basically said, if you kick it put it off the park yeah. and make them beat us from a line out, make them beat us from a set piece, <clears throat> which we didn't feel that they would have that much of an opportunity to do so easily. They could do it, but they couldn't do it easily. So our whole thing was we can't turn the ball over. So you'll notice if, if you actually watch the full game on live sports video, you'll notice that we threw probably an extra guy into every breakdown, very similar to how we played San Francisco a couple of years ago just to make sure that we didn't lose the ball because we couldn't give it to them because if we gave it to them, they probably would have killed us with it. So we had to have it all the time. And we had the ball a lot, but we didn't go anywhere because their defensive organization was so good. I, um, Andrew Duratalo played a really, a really strong game. 
Willie Rasaliki played a really strong game. And Petitu, the winger, play obviously you could see by his try he he had a strong game and was always a threat luckily we caught him a couple times and knocked him out um and they caught us you know we had a breakaway try they they caught us um um miles craigwell popped Stephen Unziato out in the corner losing toby lestrange definitely hurt us but i think that you know about 40 minutes later you know just just after the second half they lost alapate tulavuka and and that really that took away a bit of power in their midfield. Um, Pate did score a try with a with a very powerful run off of a phase play. And as we got down toward the end, we were we were literally at their at their goal line, up by ten with two or three minutes to go, and we couldn't punch it in. Then we had a scrum, and then we, you know, we won it. If you can call going backwards on at a rate of knots, winning a ball. And we just <clears throat> just couldn't get out of our own way for a little bit, and and then they wound up scoring. Uh, they they wound up turning us and scoring, and then uh, and then they took a quick <laughs> quick kick. We kicked off again, and it was a quick scrum, and then that got butchered, and then it was their ball, and it was like holy crap. Steve Evans came off with a sprained ankle, and and I did not expect that. We didn't even know what to do. We threw Ryan Deal, and we just. Basically said, boys, just defend, keep defending, keep defending. Eventually, they knocked the ball on. But it was always looked like they could score and win the game. When, in fact, if we had if we had just been disciplined or or maybe worked worked our, our scrum a little harder, we, we had eased up on it a bit. We kind of rolled the dice going into that game. No, we knew, players didn't know, but the coaches knew that, that our scrum wasn't what we wanted it to be. And and they hurt us with it. And it was a really good game of rugby, though. I thought it was a, uh, I thought it was a pretty well played game. Uh, you know, Puget Sound was able to go through many more phases than they had in previous matches, maybe because they used to scoring from sixty yards. And and we really were able to go through a lot of phases as well. And we were able to keep the ball and our line out. Our line out dominated their line out. And and I think that that was a big issue for them. We kind of had, we kind of had them sussed in the line out. And although they may have been able to win some balls, they really weren't able to do anything with them because all the balls were spilled and dropped and knocked around and, and things of that nature. So it was, it was a, it was a great game. It, and it was, it was very, very well refereed by Nick Racono. And, you know, I know there's been a lot of complaints about referees from different people and different coaches and things of that nature. But, he did about as good of a job as you could hope under those circumstances. It was pretty hot and it was pretty hostile environment um, on both ends. And he handled it very, very well. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a fantastic game of rugby. And, and I said it before, it was a shame that someone had to lose. But if someone had to lose, I'd rather it not be us. <laughs> and, and 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 fair play to our guys. Our our guys played great. We defended very well. well let, let, me, let me ask about, about that first try. Uh, Petri takes a quick tap. I don't know how you felt about it when it was happening, but I think Beach was surprised that right at the beginning you guys wouldn't go for post. I told the guys prior to the game, um, Petri, Neil McMillan, Toby Lestrange, Aj McGinty, Stevie Evans <clears> – <throat> And I all season long we've done this. I'm like, you guys have license. 
If you feel that there's an opportunity on to run it, run it. We're not playing percentages. We're not kicking corners. We're not kicking points. We're going to have to win these games with tries. Run it. I don't care. Run it. We can recycle back ourselves. We were fully, we did it again too. We scored a try. The try that we scored at the end of the half, we had a penalty right in front of the sticks with no time left. We actually, we had enough time to kick a, to kick a corner. Now, kicking the corner, I thought was stupid, but we did it and we wound up scoring. Um, I, we kicked the corner from the middle of the field. I, I would have just run it. I always just say, run it, get the ball to the one yard line and then punch it in. But we kicked the corner, got smashed. You know, we tried a little fancy play in the line out that, uh, that they, they were sitting there waiting for and we got smashed, but then eventually we did score. So we do give the players the license to play rugby and we do give the players the ability to do what they think it takes to win. And we knew that we weren't going to be, you can't be trading fives and sevens for threes. We're very few, very seldom. We're going to get down there. So if we're going to get down there, we're coming away with points. We're coming away with a try. And that is very similar to the way we played San Francisco in 2010, where we were belting the ball into the corner and there were times, Hey, they cleared it and we made the mistake. But, you know, we backed ourselves to say, we're going to try to win this game with tries because we're going to have to win this game with tries. And that's how we've played all season. So it was nothing new. And that was the biggest thing about it is that I said, hey, guys, we're not changing our tactics for them. These are our tactics. Let them deal with them. We'll execute on our tactics. They'll have to deal with it. Two, two plays uh, outlined to me. You know, sometimes when you watch uh, club rugby and, and people start saying, how come that guy's on the national team or how come this guy's on the national team? First of all, there was the, the try that Petri scored where uh, the ball got all the way down to the one one meter line. There's a ruck going in. Stanfield comes in and grabs somebody and throws him a good 10 feet out of the ruck. And it's just something that, you know, you, you, you don't just to a point where you can do that. You've got to be enormously strong and aggressive to do that. And then Petri fakes out just about everybody on the entire field, including the cameraman, um, before he he just dives through that little one channel. And then, of course, there's Mike Palafau's try where he ran by absolutely, you know, he ran backwards, he ran to the side, he outruns everybody, he has, you know, Stanfield has the angle on him and he beats him anyway. Those are, those are, top level plays they they were they really were they they were good plays and we had a good chase line going up on that kick i mean maybe it wasn't the greatest chase line in the world but it, <clears throat> it was still a pretty good line and he he managed to find the seam and get through then he managed to turn on the jets and go and he, he probably ran about 85 meters to score that try in, in the process of all the running that he did so it was a pretty impressive play on palafau's part and hopefully the Eagles pick him up. I think that they probably will or, or should uh, moving forward. Even even during this assembly, I wouldn't be surprised if if they grabbed him. He, uh, I know he has family issues, but he played a fantastic game of rugby. And he's a way bigger guy than maybe everyone knows. I still he used to be, he used to be thin. He used to be a thin guy who who could run, but now he's really bulk. He's stronger. He's a pretty big guy. I mean, I stood next to him as we were getting our medals, 
man, he's a big guy. You know, he, he's he's he, he's got to be over 200 pounds. He's you know maybe 210, 215. So I I would think that you know he he's definitely someone that they need to keep on their radar screen. I thought that Miles Craigwell's game may be 15s. He he's probably not fast enough to be a sevens guy, but he still has pretty good wheels for the 15s game. And I think that as he continues to get his feet wet with it and continues to play with such gifted players that he's, he's going to find a way to, to put himself more into games and be more of a factor. He was a factor. We just happened, we happened to shut him. We happened to stop him. We didn't shut him down. We stopped them on half breaks that he wasn't able to finish that, Perhaps if, if that was Petitu, he would have finished those, and we would have been in deep trouble. Uh, well, we had uh, – the, the national caliber players in that game came to play. Brian Doyle had a fantastic game. Connor Coyne had a fantastic game. Louis Stanfield had a fantastic game. James Denise had a fantastic game. You know, Mike Petrie had a fantastic game. Toby Lestrange had a fantastic three minutes. Uh, and you know, Duratalo, you mentioned Duratalo. Duratalo well. shut us down. Duratalo made some stopping, knocked them back, drive them on their on their heels, tackles. He was he was terrific. Um, and 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 True, Matt, Matthew Trueville, who their number eight had a had a great game as well. And and obviously, uh, Pate before he got hurt had a had a had a big game. He he was really knocking people around in the midfield. And and it was, and and Willie Rasaliki, he's a he's a he's a big unit to deal with. They they played really well, and both teams found the little. It, it was little mistakes, tiny little mistakes, whether they were tactical, technical, or mental. <clears throat> when you made them, you got beat. Like Vicago scored his try, just we abandoned the pillar. And it was they you can't abandon anything with that guy. And we worked on it all, you know, we worked on it for a few weeks because we knew that whether we're playing against Timoteo or Vicago, if you screw your interior up, then you know, you're you're dead in the water. You may if you're gonna get beat, you may as well make them throw four or five passes to beat you. That was our game plan. If they're gonna beat us, they're gonna beat us around the edges and they're gonna throw a lot of passes to do it. Well, you know, Bruce, congratulations, because remember also people need to remember that Mike Tolkien was head coach of New York Athletic Club. And I know you've, you've worked hand in glove with Mike for years, but to lose that guy and have him step down and still go undefeated is pretty special. And then on the other side, we had Evan Haig come in for a show and he said, we want to win a Super League championship. And I remember I basically asked him, did, did you really say that? And he said, yeah, no, really, we want to win a Super League championship. He said, didn't really think, I don't know you were that good. And, um, they almost made it three points off. Yeah, Evan, Evan did a fantastic job with those guys. They played as a team. They reorganized defensively. They had a solid scrum, and and they played a they. They're not a lava lava fling the ball around team. They actually play a power game, and if it's not on, they go to a pick and go game, and they compress your defense because you have to respect Ricago, and if you don't respect them then they'll skin you out wide. If you don't respect them, he'll skin you. And if you do respect them, they'll skin you out wide again with the power game. Because they have Rasaliki, they have Rasaliki and, 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 and Tulio Vuka in the midfield, 
And then, you know, they bring in, you know, they bring in Nick Hawkins. That, that, that's not a bad player to have on your bench. And then you have Miles Craigwell and Palafow and Petitu on the outside. And Armstrong is a former Irish schoolboys player. So he knows how to, he knows how to control a game and, and keep you on the front foot. And that's what they did. And it was a very well-coached team, and it was a very well-played game. And and I, and it would actually is worth it for coaches. It's really worth looking at because it was a contrast in styles, but it wasn't it it wasn't a, a a style like you can't say that Puget Sound played a style that was just hey whip the ball and hope. They played a style, put the ball in space and penetrate. And if there was no space, they powered and powered and powered. It wasn't that much different than us, except they probably had a few more weapons than we did, and we probably had a few or few quicker guys in the pack who were able to generate possibly quicker ball than they than they were. If you put the two of them together and get our quick ball and and their penetrate, that could have been a, could be a good team. <laughs> Four, five, and six on uh, New York Athletic Club. Uh, outstanding unit there. Uh, possibly the difference. Um, four of those players in that game are going to be starting for the United States this coming weekend. We will be right back and we'll talk about that game here on Rugby Matrix America. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots. Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Okay, well, we're right back on Rugby Matrix America. And this weekend, the United States starts their 2012 test match season. Three test matches in June. And then three test matches plus a warm-up game in November in the UK. They're going to finish that off in Romania. So they'll be playing... Uh, a couple of games in the UK. I think they're playing Tonga in Wales. Uh, should be really interesting. And and uh, but starting off, it's USA Canada. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to spend some time uh, on June 1st at West Point with the players, uh, watching training, doing a little filming training, talking to players, uh, talking with their new scrum coach, Derek Dowling. Um, we have a recorded interview with him on the premiere section of RugbyMag.com. You should listen to that. Um, and and there's a really good vibe among the players. They were really enjoying themselves. Uh, they they're playing or they're working on an attacking style. They are, uh, you know, they're pumped. They're pumped. Uh, we're going to talk about that. I want to ask what you guys what you think of it. We'll talk about that uh, overall, how the USA is looking and stuff like that. But just in case you haven't seen it, the USA squad is now out. Your front row is Mike McDonald, Chris Biller, and Eric Fry, an all-cow front row, actually. Uh, second row, Lou Stanfield and Brian Doyle. And your back row, Scott Lavala, Andrew Duratalo, and captain Todd Clever. And then your backs, halfbacks are Mike Petrie and Will Holder. And then your wings are Luke Hume and James Patterson. Centers, Andrew Suniula and Paul Emmerich. And Chris Wilds, who will be doing the goal-kicking at fullback and your reserves bench, Derek Asbin, Sean Pittman, Tom Katzfi, Taylor Mokate, Sean Davies, Roland Suniula, and Colin Hawley. And just a quick comment and let you guys jump in. Uh, Will Holder really blew everybody away with his skill set and his leadership as a young fly half. And I think 
uh, Mike Tolkien looked at that, started nodding and, and, and agreed with uh, Tony Smith, the attack coach, and they've just decided to go with the young guy. Uh, that's a big move, but I think, I think uh, uh, an interesting move. And then the other thing is uh, Luke Hume in at wing. We haven't really heard much from Taku Nguenya. He was not in camp yet. There is um, some issue with Nguenya. Uh, hopefully we'll see him later. But Luke Hume, this is his big chance. I think he's going to take it. Yeah, I, you know, you look at 10, Will Holder, that's scary as all hell. That's a ballsy pick. Um, the guy, the biggest game he's ever played in his life is, what, a, a Division One a semifinal? Um, and we're going to throw him in here against Canada, um, which is fine. Throw him in, see what he can do, throw him to the Wolves. Uh, I know he's uh, a very poised player, um, a very skilled player, but that's definitely uh, a little bit scary to see uh, your brand-new, fresh-faced baby there at number 10. Um, but I will say it would be great to have an American-bred, American-born, American-trained uh, fly half, and if we find out that Will Holder's that guy, then uh, it's pretty much a huge celebration. So. Um, hopefully he does quite well there. And Luke Hume, I'm excited to see this guy. Um, I've seen some of the highlight videos, and I hear lots of great uh, reviews about him. Uh, a little surprised to see him over Colin Holly, um, but uh, at the same time, I'm really excited to see him play. Luke Hume is electric. The guy has feet like you can't believe. He's been one of the better outside backs in the Super League for the past few years. He's absolutely fantastic. I, he will not disappoint. Yeah, he can he can beat people uh, with no space whatsoever. They talk about you know beating people in the phone booth. That's pretty much it. You know, um, he's he's exciting. He's aggressive, and I you know that's the game. That's the the word that comes through to me on this team. It is an aggressive team. Uh, uh, Duratalo is an aggressive flanker. Uh, Paul Emmerich, obviously an aggressive player. Hume. Uh, aggressive. And Will Holder is aggressive. Now, I mean, I, I don't think he's a big super hitting. Uh, fly half, although he can tackle, which is something that's often a struggle when you, you get your fly house. Um, but he makes decisions and he makes big time decisions. And, and I realize it's on D1A, but the, what I keep thinking of is Army beating Navy on the final play of the game when Holder was laid out as he was passing a skip pass out to the wing that that set up the try that put them behind by one. And then he picks himself off the ground and kicks the touchline conversion. The guy is a pretty clutch player and he really does have those basic skills. Kudos to all the people who coached him from his father on up uh, to give him those basic skills. And if he relies on those, he'll be all right. I got a quick question. You said that Wiles was going to kick goals. Wiles is a goal kicker. Yes. That's surprising. He's been training. He hasn't been doing it for Saracens, but he has been training, and he's basically been given the job at the moment. And I think probably if Will Holder is your guy going forward, maybe that's another thing to pile on top of the guy on the on the first game. So maybe just say, you don't have to worry about kicking goals. You don't have to worry about that stuff. Why don't you worry about everything else? I think Wiles is a miss or two away from losing that job. Hopefully he doesn't miss, but but I but I but I I do think that I do think that I probably would have. Now I look, I haven't seen Wiles kick, so but I probably would have gone with Will based on what I've seen. But obviously they've looked at him. I mean, you're not talking about you're talking about guys who know how to make decisions. So that I'm not I'm not. uh, It from an outsider's perspective, that did shock me. 
Well, there's there's also Andrew Suniula, James Patterson, probably Luke Hume can probably kick goals. Um, although I don't know if he does it a lot, but they've got several goal kickers on this team, uh, which is another um, issue. And then you know you look at the reserves bench, and what you're looking for, what what you see there is flexibility. So you've got Asben can play flanker and hooker. You've got uh, Mokate who can play four, five, six, seven, or eight. Well, maybe not seven. Uh, Sean Davies, another very good goal kicker at uh, scrum half. Uh, Roland Suniulup can play 10 or center. And Colin Hawley can play pretty much anywhere in the backs except nine, uh, which is why he's a useful sub right there. There's a lot of flexibility on that team. So the big question, guys, is, is this a good enough team and, and good enough preparation and good enough situation for the United States to beat Canada in Canada. I mean, they're certainly capable of doing it. I think the swing position is Will Holder. Um, you know, how does he stand up to the pressure? And and if he's not standing up to the pressure, do they make a switch with Roland Spinuler? Do they let him work through it? Um, I think that that's the big key. A lot of these other guys have been on teams that have beaten Canada. Um, Brian Doyle hasn't been on the team. He hasn't made the team in a long time. But now he's starting, and I think he's well-deserved. I think he is definitely uh, one of the two best locks in the country. And uh, everybody else has a lot of experience playing, um, if not internationally, then very high-level rugby. And I think that certainly this team has a chance and is, is capable enough of beating Canada. Um, if you got a lot of guys in the same positions that played a long ways, too. Having Mike Petrie, that steady hand at nine, um, and all the experience that he brings and all the experience that uh, Paul Emmerich brings in the back line and Chris Wiles and and uh, all the big guys you're talking about, Mike McDonald, everybody, I, I think it's huge. And so they certainly have a chance. Um, and, uh, I mean, they need to. It's time to stop beating Canada, every, you know, less than 50% of the time. It's time to start beating Canada every time you step out on the field. And um, hopefully they'll go out and do it. I think that this team can and, and should beat Canada, you know, I don't think Canada scrummages all that well, so even as we're working through that process, I believe that we'll be able to hold our own there, and and that'll be critical that we do hold our own there. Um, I believe that we will dominate the line out on both ends of it. I think that we have four high-quality jumpers, and and I think that we'll be able to use that line out ball and be able to do some effective things with it. The I think that we have some, with Luke Hume, we have pace that can skin you. I think we have experience with Mike Petrie, and I think that Will Holder's boot will be used relatively, you know, I think that that can keep Canada pinned back. We haven't had, uh, we haven't been able to really necessarily take advantage of the fact that Canada's kicking from 10 isn't all that fantastic. So, I, you know, it would be great if we could if we could provide a platform that would allow Will to be able to kick the ball <clears throat> and put them in the corner and make the goalposts look like pencils on the other end of the field. And I think that the United States defense is only going to continue to grow. The thing that I saw about the bench is that more so <clears throat> than being a bench of versatility, it's a bench that brings some kind of impact to it. Taylor Mokade is a pretty powerful guy. Um, and, and the other thing that I look at is in the pack, they have running options basically all throughout the pack. And I don't know that they've always had that either. So I think that having, you know, McDonald, Biller, and and uh, and, and Eric Fry up front, 
you know, they have they have some they have some potency and attack with that. With Doyle and Stanfield, they've worked together quite a bit, so they'll have a little bit of potency and attack there. And then and then having Lavala really I, I only saw one practice for about an hour when they were working on defense and interior, but Lavala looked fantastic. He really looked fantastic. He does he looks like a completely different player than the guy that you saw in, in the I, past. I, I agree. I agree. Um I was gonna say that if there are two guys that when you watch it and you can check on rugbymag.com to see details on the webcast, it will be webcast live for free. If you, if there are two guys that are going to make you sit up and say, wait a second, that's not the guy I remember from last year. One of them is Lavala. Lavala uh, had the best fitness score uh, of any forward. He looks, he's incredibly strong. He looks taller in fact. Um, And he is covering the ground and he is, I think he's ready to take this. They've got him at six, and I think that's a great place for him. And the other guy is James Patterson because one of the things about Patterson, people didn't really realize that he was nursing injuries all the way through the World Cup. We never really saw James Patterson fully healthy or fully engaged in the game plan considering the highly conservative game plan that uh, Eddie O'Sullivan ran for the Eagles last year. So we're, I, I think you're going to say, you're going to see Patterson do a couple of things and think, oh, there we go. That's the guy we were looking for. And I think you're going to see Lavala do some things where you realize that's why he's starting. I think you're, what they're really going to need is they're going to need, they're going to need people to penetrate because if you remember last year in the Churchill Cup when Canada played England or the Saxons, they really reorganize their defensive line well. So in order to, to deal with a team that reorganizes their defensive line well, you need midfielders and, and, uh, and outside backs who can penetrate through the middle. So you need to be able to insert your guys in that area and take advantage of those little seams to get those little half breaks to turn into full breaks. The other thing you need is you need some cohesion and power in your pack and you need to be able to generate offense through your forwards because you don't want to be given an inexperienced fly half ball that he doesn't want. And I think that with this team and, and having Pittman on the bench, he generates offense off the bench. Asbin can generate offense off the bench. So, I th- you know, Katzweiss probably would be more of a line-out um, line guy than, say, a generate offense guy. But I think that, I think that you can – I think that looking at that team – they are poised to beat Canada. They're going to have to, again, I think they're going to have to dominate the lineouts. I think they're going to have to handle their restarts properly, and they're going to have to kick off well. And and they have people who do it. I mean, I know Brian Doyle and Louis Stanfield uh, practice incessantly on, on taking restarts, so I, I would be very confident there. I think that having Clever, you know, he's another guy in the forward pack that can break it. But the thing about Lavala that really struck me not it wasn't so much even though it was a defensive segment it wasn't so much how he handled the defense it was how he ran the ball and attack against the defensive uh in the defensive interior defense drill that's the thing that that impressed me he was able to hit hit the line hard keep his hands on the ball and and stay in a good strong position and i think that that's going to be good and again you also have another dangerous player in davies coming off the bench he's a pretty he impressed me a lot too in that interior defense drill. Him and Mose were impressive. Uh, Petri wasn't there, but him and Mose were impressive, and they were they were really 
handling the attack pretty well. So I, I think that they're excited to play in Tony Smith's attacking system with Tony Smith and Mike Tolkien, which you know, probably isn't a whole lot different than the AC's attacking system. Um, and and I, I would, you know, outside of a couple variations, they'll be, you know, most of the players will be relatively calm and confident in that system because Tony's been through the USA on the 19s program for a while and, and, and has had Mike. So they've all been kind of coaching these guys for a bit. And everybody's kind of had experience with each other. And I think that they're looking forward to, at the end of the day, the Eagles have to play an exciting brand of rugby. If, if you're going to kick corners and play pick and goes and, and play for territory and play, you better win games. Like if you want to play like South Africa, it's fine. But you better win the game doing it. Then you'll have a following. But, you know, we're not going to beat England's and South Africa's or Italy's doing that. We're going to have to play them. And we're going to have to play rugby, and we're going to have to play an exciting brand. And I think that they're bringing that, and that's fantastic. Tell you what, I'm excited to see Andrew Duratalo play too. I, you guys have seen him play 15s more than I have. Um, but he, for him to step in at that number seven spot says a lot to me. He must have done some a lot of impressing of Mike Tolkien. Um, so I'm excited to see him play, and I'm excited to see all the possible new caps um, and Will and Luke and all the guys on the bench. Um, a lot of fresh blood, and I think it's going to be I'm pretty geeked out getting to go to this game. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to watch some of these guys get their uh, their first run in the red, white, and blue in 15th. Pat, and I'll be, I'll be driving up with you, too, if I can find my passport. I, I yeah. can't believe I lost my passport. I had to get a new driver's license to go to Seattle, and I, I can't find my passport. And uh, it's killing me that I'm not seeing Mike's first game as coach if I find this stupid thing. But right now... I don't have one, but if I do have one by tomorrow, Pat, me and you will be in a, me and you will be in a car from Syracuse to uh, Kingston, to Kingston lovely, Ontario, lovely Kingston, Ontario, home of uh, Don Cherry and Kirk Muller and Dougie Gilmore, three shining lights of uh, professional hockey. That's what everybody knows about Kingston. Maybe they'll know something about rugby. Uh, USA has beaten Canada on Canadian soil before and one of those I remember very well 2003 they beat Canada in Vancouver 16-11 the fly half on that day was a player from Middle Tennessee State University named Kayo Nicolau who was asked to kick to the corner play some defense make some smart decisions and they won 16-11 thanks to a uh, big try from Phil Eloff and when Nicolau went off they didn't really have a fly half to fill in for him and they put in Kane Cross who was a center who did just fine. So uh, a young untried fly half, not always uh, a big problem, and and we're pretty excited about it. Uh, Will's a big dude, man. He's also an attacking threat. Will is a big dude, and, and I know that in Tolkien and Smith's system, they will ask their fly half to run, and they will ask their fly half to hold people. And if you hold people and you run and you can keep on playing quick ball – and do a lot of good stuff. They're going to give you things. Defenses, they can't stop everything. They're going to give you things. And Will's used to playing, you know, he grew up playing at basically the only white guy on all Polynesian team. So he knows how to put guys into space. So while he may be inexperienced at the international level, he's not inexperienced in playing rugby the way he wants to. And he's been coached by Smith at different camps since he was 13 or 14 years old. And he's been living a lovely a rugby lifestyle. So he's been on the U.S. on the 17s. He's, he's been there. He's done that. And I don't think that this is that big of an ask on him. And I'm sure that they 
were not happy about the Toby Lestrange injury, but Will brings, you know, he brings a boot that Lestrange doesn't bring. And, and, and that is, you know, the ability to keep it by having that kind of boot, Canada's going to have to respect it with at least three guys in the back, if not four. And that opens up a lot of holes. If there's two or three guys in the breakdown, a guy at the cop, four guys back, you know, there's only seven other guys covering the rest of the field. And we have some weapons in Luke Hume and other people, Todd Clever, that can skin those guys. And if they make proper reads, we can we can play some offense too. That sounds like a plan. Um, and you can check out the reports, the the previews. We're going to have uh, a breakdown of the squad and also uh, the live webcast and then the reports from pitch side, not only from uh, from Pat Clifton, but we'll also have Doug Cross from Canada giving a little bit of insight in the Canadian side of things. And we'll have something from them. We actually have something up right now. Uh, so stay tuned to rugbymag.com for everything you can get from the USA-Canada game. And congratulations, Bruce, on your Super League Championship and New York Athletic Club Super League Championship. Congratulations to Alex Magleby in Dartmouth on an outstanding performance at the Collegiate Rugby Championship. And congratulations to New Orleans Division Three, Rocky Gorge, and, of course, Belmont Shore, who were undefeated all season in Division One. That's it for the show. Thanks a lot, guys, and thanks for listening to Rugga Matrix America. Mm-hmm.